Did you have a good Christmas? You still have everybody who's still having Christmas, raise your hand. How many are you still? Okay, there, there you go. It's exciting. Well, it's good to have you here this morning. We've been going through the book of Philippians talking about joy. And today I have the privilege of talking to you about the joy that comes with creating a culture of honor in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships with people. If you are a person who honors other people, you will stand out as extremely unique and distinctive in our culture. Because people will suddenly sense from you the respect, the honor, the uh, care, the uh, attention that is so rare in our culture where people are looking to self and competing for all this attention rather than you being a person that's giving the honor to other people. And so today we're talking about transcendent joy and to actually be a person who shows other people honor. Finding someone to honor in your life. And so the other day, I, I went to an auto part store locally uh, to check on a part. And I went in and I searched, and then I went to the front desk, the cashier, and asked some questions. And uh, I said that, you know, I'm here to help my son because he's looking for this part. And so he'll be in later, but uh, do you have it? And they affirmed that they did. And I, I said, uh, he's a really good kid, and he likes to learn stuff. When he comes in here, will you teach him the ropes? And the lady said to me, oh, yes, I'll, I'll be glad to do that. She said, my 15-year-old's a great kid, too. And she started telling me about her 15-year-old son and what a great kid he was. And I thought, this is really neat. And then the other coworker comes over, the guy comes over, pulls out his smartphone and whips up a picture of his teenage daughter and shows me her and says, she's just such a wonderful girl. Let me tell you all about her. And I was standing there listening to the two people that work at the auto parts store brag on what wonderful teenage children they have. And I, I listened for a good minute or two and I finally said, this is very unusual. I have never gone to an auto parts store for a part and had the workers tell me how much they love and respect and honor their teenage kids. And I said, this is cool. My son will be here later. You tell him the ropes. And so you see, finding someone to honor is a very special thing because it creates a positive culture. A positive culture. And that's what we need in our society. That's what we need in our relationships. And so the challenge today is find someone to honor. And there are three specific choices that as we take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 through 30, three choices that every one of us can make that will create a culture of honor, that will build honor, that will honor others. And that is so cool. So let's take a look at those three choices, shall we? The first choice is that you can play many roles in people's lives. 
And so you'll see this when we read the verses about this. But there are many opportunities that you have to influence people in a positive way. In the course of your day, you have different kinds of relationships with people. And those relationships naturally lead to opportunities to play some different roles in influencing people positively and creating culture of honor. And so let's take a look at how to be that. First of all, it says in Philippians 2.25, but I think it necessary, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And so we are cutting into the Apostle's Paul, Paul train of thinking here as he's thinking about being a manager of people and how his management of people influences the environment that he's part of and in the environment that the church at Philippi created by sending Epaphroditus to him in the first place. Context, Paul is in prison. He didn't do anything wrong. He was proclaiming the gospel. He was sharing the good news that Christ died for our sins, rose from the dead, and that through faith in him, you could not only have your sins forgiven, but you could have the hope of eternal life. And they, the people didn't like that, and so they, they threw him into jail. Uh, we don't know exactly the level of imprisonment, whether it was you know, a home imprisonment, whether he was actually in a prison cell with chains on him and that sort of stuff. But we know he was being guarded because some people were trying to keep him out of the mainstream and to keep him quiet. And so he is in a circumstance that as you could imagine if you were in jail, imagine that, that it would mean a lot to you if someone came to visit you. And I used to go to jails quite often when I was younger and worked with an older man who took me there and we would go and we would talk to prisoners about Jesus. I didn't care what they had done, what their background was, any of that stuff. What I did care about as a teenager, I was 17 when I started doing that, going with this 75-year-old guy, I didn't care what they had done. I just wanted to have the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus and hope and eternal life and experiencing God in their lives. We were trying to bring encouragement. We were trying to honor men that probably didn't know that much about honor, but they needed to be honored to elevate their own hearts to a place where they could start thinking about their own esteem and self-worth. And here Paul is thinking about this guy who has come from Philippi on a journey sent by the church in Philippi to come to him at his place of imprisonment and to help him. And he's been helping Paul, so much so that we see several roles in this verse that Paul identifies him as playing in his own life. And he says, you know, I think it's really necessary that I send you back And my first thought is, if I was in jail, I probably would think twice about sending this guy back because I would love to visit. 
you guys know I'm a social guy. I, I like to visit with people. And so having someone come to visit would be like, it would just make me come alive. It's like, great. And Paul is saying, no, no. I think what's most important in this scenario is to send you, Epaphroditus, back to Philippi to minister to the needs of the people there. Do you hear the level of selflessness in this guy's life? What honor. He's thinking they're the Philippians. What do they need? And when it says necessary, it's not just optional to him. He's evaluated all the details that he knows, and we don't know all those details, but he knows enough to think this is necessary. I want to send you back to minister to those people there. But notice the different roles that Epaphroditus has played in his life, in Paul's life. He's a brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier who is also your messenger, speaking of the Philippians. That's the role that they gave him, to be a messenger. And so here we have four different roles. You could say four different relationships. In the course of your day, you could play dozens, if not maybe potentially hundreds of roles in a person's life. But here are four that we know about Epaphroditus. As a brother... He was identifying that Epaphroditus believed in Jesus like he did. That he had trusted Christ as his Savior. He knew Jesus' leadership in his life. He had grown to a point of maturity to where the uh, church in Philippi had sent him as a representative. And when he came to Paul in prison, they instantly bonded in their relationship in Christ. And I know of no other I know of no other bond that is more powerful than this. When I, when I traveled in the Middle East, um, I, I did not go to the Middle East with anyone I knew. I traveled independently. And I, I was in Jerusalem, Israel for a few weeks. And I remember Sunday morning getting up and not having any any projects or any things. I was, I was working with a school and doing some studies. I had nothing to do when I got up, and uh, things were pretty quiet around town. I looked out at the streets in Jerusalem. There weren't many, wasn't much traffic at all. A bus came by, and I, I thought, uh, I'm bored. Here I was, bored in Jerusalem, Israel, and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I thought, I like to hike, I'll take a walk. I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to hike through the old city of Jerusalem, end up in the Kidron Valley, drop down to the bottom and see if there's still some olive trees down there because that's where Jesus and the disciples went, and to go up the other side and to connect with the county road and uh, circle around the Mount of Olives and see what's beyond and that's what I did that Sunday morning. I hiked down into the valley, and yes, there, were, there was an old olive grove there. Probably not old enough to go back to that date, but you wondered if they had ingrafted some of those olives, olive limbs into new growth, and if I was looking at some ancient stuff. 
climbed the mountain past a graveyard connected to the county road, went around the side of the Mount of Olives, and then I noticed cars pulling into this parking lot on this building that looked, it, it looked big enough to be kind of a public meeting place, and I saw a family going in and another car pulling up, and something in me just said, ask. And so I stepped onto the parking lot and didn't go clear up to this couple, but I just said, excuse me, could you tell me what's going on at this building? I see people going in here. And the couple looked each other in the eye, and the man looked at me, and he said, well, um, yeah, there's a meeting going on in here. Uh, We're having church this morning. Would you like to come? And I said, sure. And I went in there, and I'll cut to the quick here. I met people from all over the world. I met people from Africa. I met some people from America. I met people from Europe, Asia. I met people from all over the world. And we sang songs, a few of them I even recognized. And suddenly, as I was standing there singing with people, I did not know... I realized I was connected to them as a brother in Christ. And suddenly what, I realized I was no longer bored. I was no longer alone. I was now with brothers and sisters in Christ who loved Jesus that I was going to not only spend that day with, but I thought, wow, I may never see these people again till the day I get to heaven and I'm going to see him again. I know of no stronger relational connection than faith in Jesus because he brings our hearts together and makes us the forever family. And so Paul has had this connection to Epaphroditus. They're brothers. They share the same heart for Jesus Christ. And we do too. And you can too. But he also says there's another role that Epaphroditus had in his life. He's a co-worker. And so anytime that you have a mission or a vision, whether it's for your company, whether it's for your marriage, your family, whether it's for the church, you need some people who are going to work together and share the objectives, the goals, and the standards, and the tasks to achieve that. And Paul is saying, Epaphroditus is to me someone who has shared in the mission efforts together, and we work together, and he's a good co-worker. I think he would say, Epaphroditus is a team player. There's a third role, and this one was kind of weird for me. He's a soldier? He's a fellow soldier? Yes, He's someone who shares in the struggle for people's souls. Have you noticed that faith is a battleground in human cultures? Yeah, well, here's how you can experiment with that. Just go up and introduce yourself to someone at Safeway or at a store or wherever and start a conversation with them and ask them if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you'll find out that, you know, there's tension in culture over faith. 
And Paul is saying about Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus is the kind of guy who shares in the struggle for people's souls and eternal destinies. He's also a person who has demonstrated the personal discipline that a soldier has to have in order to work against all the resistance that you feel when you want to reach out into your world and share Christ. And so he said, he's like a soldier. He's got courage. He's got conviction. He's got discipline. He's a fellow soldier. And here's what the Philippians called him. Actually, there's two words in your Bible for this. Actually, one is a word for apostle, which means he's a sent person. And that's true. They sent him from Philippi to be a messenger to Paul. But he's also a person who communicates with Paul and communicates the gospel along with Paul. And these are four roles. You can have other roles in people's lives. I was just thinking this morning about some of you guys. Some of you are encouragers. That's the role that you take. I know you. Some of you are instigators. You are idea people and you are creatives and you just get the flow of thought and ideas going and that's what you are. That's the role you play. Others of you are learners. You're students. You might be a lifetime student. You love to study, you love to gain knowledge, and you love to share it. And if you share it, you end up being an educator. You're a teacher. There are dozens of roles that you can play in people's lives. But spiritually, this is what Paul says about Epaphroditus. He's a spiritual brother. He's a co-worker. He's a soldier. And the Philippian church was right. He is a sent one who is a minister to Paul's needs. He was a lot to the apostle Paul. And so Paul demonstrates full circle honor. It's one thing to be honored where someone comes to you and respects you and helps you, serves you. It's another thing for you to then say, well, I'm going to reciprocate. And that's what Paul does in this verse. He thinks it's necessary to send back to the Philippian church Epaphroditus, the one whom you sent to take care of my needs. Full circle honor. Imagine what the world would be like if people were like this. That they were to think, how do my decisions impact others? How do they? You know, I occasionally hear spouses say, I wish my spouse would think about how their decisions, especially the ones they make without me, affect me. See, that's a person saying, full circle honor means not only do you help me, but then I think, well, how can I help you? How do my decisions impact the other person? It was so cool to listen to these two workers at the auto parts store. They were bragging. <laughs> I loved it. They were bragging about their teens. I would love to hear you adults thinking about your teenagers' strengths. They all have strengths. They're amazing. If you watch them, you know what they're good at. Yesterday, I was at the wrestling match, and I listened to 
a couple adults telling me what their kids were really good at, and I thought, wow, they've tuned in. Full circle honor means that you are a considerate person. You are considering how your decisions impact other people's needs. <coughs> Excuse me. I feel my head cold affecting me a little bit. And so Paul said that the gift that he received from the Philippian church, he received full payment. And so it sounds like it was a financial gift to help Paul pay for some of his bills. And he says, and even more, I'm amply supplied. And so he's speaking back with appreciation for how they've helped him. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts, plural, you have sent. And so it was obvious that we're, there was some material, financial gift to help Paul meet his expenses. But there may have been other gifts, and we know that because of the roles that Epaphroditus played. He went there ready to serve. He went there looking for opportunities. Do you go looking for opportunities to minister to people, to help people, to serve, to lend a hand, to give, to help? There are lots of gifts that you can give. Some of you have the gift of helps. And you come alongside people who have a vision for doing something and you help to make it a reality. Some of you have the gift of management. You have the ability to look at a goal that a visionary has, take it and scope and sequence it out, steps of tasks to make it happen. And you, you just know how to do that and it comes so easy to you. Some of you have the gift of music. And you're just amazing. You just take up an instrument and you learn how to play it. <clears throat> you help the rest of us worship. The different worship teams that get up here, I'm just amazed at what they're able to do. They just take me places in my relationship with God. Lisa, thank you for being here today. You did that for me too. You took me to worshiping God. I closed my eyes and I just spent time thinking about God and loving him and worshiping him. And that is so helpful. Some of you have that gift. <laughs> there are so many abilities and talents represented here. Are you willing to gift others with your strengths? Epaphroditus was that kind of guy who brought that kind of honor and esteem to Paul and the people he was around. And so... Paul talks about the emotions that are involved with Epaphroditus. Remember, he's in prison. Epaphroditus has been a, a heart player with him. He's, he's really ministered to him. He's encouraged him. He's helped him. He's served with him. He was an extension of the ministry that Epaphroditus, who wasn't held back, was able to go out and accomplish some of the tasks that Paul had a vision for. And so they were working together. And now Paul is making the decision to send him back to Philippi, and that tugs at his heart. Because you see, Epaphroditus is also worried about the people back at Philippi who sent him. It says about Epaphroditus, for he longs for all of you Philippians and is distressed because you Philippians heard he was ill. 
And so sickness somehow came to play in his life. We don't know how he got it. He picked up a bug. We don't know if he overworked. We don't know if there was some kind of problem. People were treating him bad that, you know, his health was breaking down. Whether he was having something going on, whatever it was, the Philippians heard about it, and they're worried about him. They love this guy. They sent him because they know he's capable, but they love him. And so first it says that he longs for the Philippians, which says there's emotional connection. Once you build relationships with people for long enough, you care about them, right? I look at those of you who have gone to Nicaragua to share in the ministry down there with the believers down there, and I think of buildings that you have constructed for the community, training facilities that you've built to educate young people and give them skills so that they go back in society. I think about you and the relationships you have with our dear brothers and sisters in Nicaragua. And when I think about you, I think that you are like Epaphroditus. You have gone there You've built relationship. You've gone there multiple times over the years. You've loved them. You've worked together. There's camaraderie. Amen? There's a teamwork there that the rest of us, we can't, we can't say we know what you feel or think about that. We can only say we can imagine how cool that is. And so here is this brother, Epaphroditus. He's had an illness the Philippians are worried about him, and he's longing for them. The guy who's sick isn't thinking about himself. He's thinking about the people who are worried about him. I think Epaphroditus was ready to just get on with the work. Don't worry about me, but I'm worried about you now that you're worried about me. See what happens when you're, there's consideration and thoughtfulness, and you're thinking about the other guy? You start longing for being around those people because you care about them. And it says that he's also distressed. This is more intense than the first word. This has to deal with having kind of a troubled heart and mind that he's worried about them. They're worried about him. He's worried about them. What a world this would be if people would just take their emotions and realize that God's trying to use those emotions to guide you into some wholesome decision-making. Do not be led by your emotions. Let your emotions lead you to think about what's the best possible thing you can do in the circumstance you're dealing with. What do the people need that are impacted by your decision? That's called emotion management rather than emotional management. As a pastor, I worry about America because we are an emotionally driven nation. I'll go up to any person and say, uh, how are you doing today? You know what their answer to me is? I feel like, and then they'll start telling me how they feel. We are an emotion-driven culture. When you talk about driving down the freeway and you think of road rage, it's an emotion-driven issue. People need to manage their emotion 
rather than being emotionally driven people. Think of a stoplight. Yellow means? Caution. Red means? Not go. Right? Red means stop, not go. Green means go. Your emotions are like a stoplight. They're trying to signal something to you that you need to think about and manage responsibly. Use your emotions wisely. Don't be driven by them, but utilize them to make wise decisions. The second choice that you get to make is to be responsive or not. There are needs everywhere in this world. Every person has needs. I could ask you all to shout out, what's your biggest need today? And the the room would just be loud with sound because everybody has needs. The question is whether you want to be a need meter or a need ignorer. Epaphroditus was a need meter. He saw needs, he listened to Paul, he thought about what he could do, what he couldn't do, I'm sure, as well, and he was willing to be responsive and step into opportunities. Let's read about it. Indeed, he, Epaphroditus, was ill and almost died. Wow, now we're knowing the degree of his sickness. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Wow, Paul went through this with Epaphroditus, through his sickness, through his almost death. And here's how Paul assesses the outcome. He didn't die, and God had mercy on him, but it was also mercy to me. Paul really cared about Epaphroditus. He loved his brother in the Lord. And he recognized that God is in control of things that we are not. And here you see it. When he says God had mercy on him, he's saying he's giving God the credit. That in life, our very health, our very length of life is something that God's in control of. And when it's not your time, he's saying, you're not going to go. And he's saying about Epaphroditus, it wasn't his time to go. God had mercy on him. And he spared me sorrow upon sorrow. There's times when it's time. Well, there's one time when it will be time for you and I to go. That day will come. But you know, until then, we're here on purpose to serve his purpose in people's lives. Epaphroditus knew how to serve that purpose. Now, the sorrow that you may feel here, if you've had a loved one pass away in the last decade, I know how that works. I know because when my dad passed away for years and years, I wanted to reach for the phone and talk to him. And then I'd realize, (laughs) you don't have that good a line to heaven. (laughs) 
but I wanted to call and ask Dad, Dad, what would you do in this situation? Because Dad was good at knowing what to do. And so I understand if you've lost a loved one, a child, a spouse, even someone who is close to you, a close friend, it, it takes years to work through that grief. Paul tells us here that he understands that there's different levels and facets of grief. Sorrow upon sorrow. Now there's the sorrow that he would have had at the loss of a brother. But then there's also the Philippians who had sent Epaphroditus to him and then he gets sick and if he would have died, it wasn't lost on Paul. He would have been feeling bad for that whole thing too because he cared about the Philippians. He appreciated what they had done. And so you see through the good times, through the hard times, through the sorrows of life and through the great joys of life. We share life together. And God has a plan. And you're here today because, folks, that's part of his plan. He may have been trying to get your attention today by bringing you to church. And you came today, and he's trying to speak to you because he wants a relationship with you. He knows all about you. He's just waiting for you want to want to know all about him. And so God is sovereign and Paul makes a relationally based decision. He solves a problem. He realized that who all's involved here? The Philippians, Epaphroditus, there's me, there's other people. Uh, we're, we're all working together. We care about each other. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send Epaphroditus so that when you see him, you Philippians see him, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. They're all caring about each other so much. And Paul says, I've made the decision. And that's what some of you guys need to do today. You need to make not an emotional-based decision, but you need to make a faith-based decision. Some of you parents... You're thinking about whether your child is ready to step into a new level of responsibility and trust. Only you can make that decision. But when you release your child by faith into God's hands for them to step into a new level, a new responsibility, a new job, a new task, you are releasing honor you are saying to that young person, I think you're ready. And we all, young people, every, all you young people, I want you to know, as a parent, we all want to be able to release you guys and trust you and believe in you and to watch you grow and not just survive, we love you so much, we want you to flourish. Amen? That's right. And so Paul had his issues, his emotions, but he makes a decision based on wisdom to release Epaphroditus back to Philippi. The third area of choice we make to release honor, to build honor, 
Take a deep breath, folks, is risk. When you let go, there's a certain level of risk involved. And so Paul had to deal with that as well. He said, welcome him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. The great joy was because obviously he could have died. He got the illness. He was almost gone. But he's still with us. And he's able to come back to you now. He's recovered. I'm sending him your way. And so I'm releasing him with joy. Don't feel bad for me. Receive Epaphroditus with joy. Full circle honor. There's the joy of giving And there's the grace of receiving, and that's what he's encouraging the Philippian church to do, to receive him back with joy. Don't worry about me. He needs to be with you. And then the Scripture says to honor men like him. And this is where we get our focus for today, someone to honor. Who are you thinking about honoring? Think about it. What would that look like? It could be that you simply support a vision that they have that you're going, I'm looking for somewhere to invest. I'm on that vision with you. I want to support you in that. It might mean that you give hands-on help. Some of you who are creators and designers and woodworkers and the hands-on people, that you actually make something that helps that person, that honors them. Honor means that you get on board and that you esteem that person and you support perhaps their vision, their mission, their task, their education, their growth in the Lord. And that's what we are, isn't it? We're an esteeming community where we are helping each other and supporting each other in this amazing growth process. I was stuck out of town. I'll be honest with you, I hate being stuck out of town. I was broke down, fortunately, in a massive parking lot at some big shopping mall, and the car was dead. And I'm not that great a mechanic. You you don't want to call me. (laughs) You don't want to call me. But I'm just going... You turn the key, I'm putting my faith in that key, and nothing is happening. Nothing. I'm thinking, and I look over to my mom and I say, Mom, uh, I guess we're in a pickle. What are we going to do, Mom? And I sat back and I took a deep breath like that, and uh, I thought, okay, I got my phone. Who do I know? And I'm out of town. None of you guys were in southern Oregon that day. I needed you to be there, especially you mechanics. And we sat there for a while, and I couldn't figure it out. And so you'll learn about me in this. I looked looked across the parking lot, and I saw a distraction. And uh, this distraction was Sportsman's Warehouse. And so I said, Mom, we're going to take a ride. So I 
got the wheelchair out and pulled it up to her door and got her in the wheelchair. And we went across that long parking lot, finally arrived at that store and it was open. And I forgot all my problems. I, I was a happy man. I, it was wonderful. I was distracted. My day was more beautiful for it. And then I walked outside the door of the store and reality hit me again. I looked across the parking lot at that car that I loathed and I said to myself, um, you know, what am I going to do? Took her back, sat in the car. I thought, who do we know in this town? Who do we know? Who might we know? So I went through my address list And there was the name of someone I hadn't seen for a few years. And I know, I I think they still lived in the area. And I pressed send, and they answered the phone. And I said, Pastor Mike, this is Pastor Ken. How are you doing today, buddy? And he said, well, hi, Ken. What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm just sitting in a parking lot thinking about you. <laughs> and I said, Mike, to be honest with you, I'm stuck in this parking lot at this big mall and I see Sportsman's Warehouse and, and there's, there's this store over across the street and there's a fast food place. He said, oh, oh, you're at such and such a mall. I said, oh, Okay. Um, my car's not starting. He said, I'll be there. And, and he said, I'll just be there soon. Within 15 minutes, he shows up. He opens the back of his trunk, pulls out a tool chest, and he says, what's the problem? And all of a sudden, my anxiety went down as my confidence in him went way up. And do you know he actually fixed my car and we drove away? And I said, Pastor Mike, let me buy you a cup of coffee. He said, no. He said, can't brothers just help brothers? I thought, thank you so much. I took his hand, shook it, and said, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for helping us out today. I felt honored, and I tried to honor him back. What a world it would be, wouldn't it? Proverbs says that a kind-hearted woman gains honor. But ruthless men gain only money, wealth. You see, what we learn about honor in the Scripture is that honor is the destination you arrive at when you've treated people right on the journey. You treat people kind-heartedly, what does this woman gain? She gains honor. That's the destination. That's the byproduct. And so that's why it's so important to think about the opportunity to honor. 
because he almost died for the work of Christ, Paul says about Epaphroditus, risking his life. That's the risk. He risked his life. And what he risked it for? Well, it says that the reward is to this, make up for the help you Philippians couldn't give directly. So they sent him. That's the risk-reward opportunity. What's your opportunity? What's your risk? What could be the reward? The question is whether you're going to experience risk paralysis and do nothing. Epaphroditus said, I'm going to step in and I'm going to risk. He wasn't paralyzed by it. He stepped into the opportunity. So who is it? Something that we should know. We should continually identify and honor those around us who faithfully and sacrificially live for the gospel. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your son or daughter. Maybe it's your youth mentor. Maybe it's your grow group leader or someone in your grow group. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's your Christian employer that runs his business for the glory of God and he esteems you all the time and you feel very built up. There's lots of different places and ways to honor. But the bottom line question is this. Can you identify that person, someone who has been a spiritual blessing to you through their faithful and sacrificial faith in Jesus And will you show them honor in a practical way? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone who has come today. I thank you that it's no accident that they are here. I pray that if their heart and their mind is stirred to want to have a relationship with you, Jesus, that they will trust you even right now to forgive them of their sin and to begin to lead and guide and direct them. And that they could become like an Epaphroditus, a person who is loved by God, who loves people and helps them. May we all be that kind of person. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, guys. You're dismissed.